God, dear Lord, we're grateful for this year behind us, the season coming up, all the good gifts. We'd ask that you would bless our minds today in your word, in your son's name, amen. Um, I, was, I think it was a couple Sundays ago, I think. Um, I was talking to Lucinda afterwards, and she was interested in if there's any time an Old Testament survey could be done. So I dug around in my stuff at home, and I had my Old Testament survey notes uh, and uh, a CD with the last time I did it. So I was thinking about that, and I was also thinking about in another circumstance, I was in, can you imagine, an argument in my library with somebody about something. And for some reason, the idea of Paul arguing from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. Okay? That, that, that phrase stuck in my mind. So I had the conversation with Lucinda about Old Testament survey, and then the needful quotation that involved Paul using the Old Testament to prove that Jesus was the Christ. And so when I sat down this morning to do some prep, I, um, I said, where was that passage? I thought, end of Acts, last chapter of Acts, when he's talking to the Jews in Rome. So that's the passage at the bottom of the right-hand side, Acts 28. Um, and I went there and got into it, and of course it has the great quotation from Isaiah 6, which is quoted by the Christ in Matthew 13, which is the intervening passage. So I have all three of those passages, Isaiah 6, Matthew 13, Acts 28. Because if nothing else, we know from the Christ or, or from his apostles that the power of the Old Testament, or what God had done and how he had pointed to the coming Messiah was pre is pretty profound, that they could create a pretty substantial argument on the basis of it. In this passage, you know that you know, Joe Average can look at this passage in Isaiah 6 and see the quotations, and then there are other references to it in the New Testament as a pretty loud presence of the Old Testament and the prophecy of it um, in our minds. So it behooves us to take a look at it. And having uh, spent, you know, you, you look at things too long and you begin to see things, uh, a, uh, just you get too comfortable with in the first verse, look at the top of the right-hand side. In the year the King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And I've always looked at that, you know, because I like history. Oh, that's helpful. To let you know, it was in the year King Uzziah died. And I'm sure everybody goes, oh yeah, that was... Because nobody else checks on these things, but... I thought it was just sort of there as a, you know, uh, like a Luke uh, in the days of Caesar Augustus, at, where it lets you know when something happened. And it could be exactly that. This is the beginning of Isaiah's ministry, the reign of King Uzziah. 
Uzziah was to some degree a decent king in the first part of his reign. Um, he made a mistake, a bad mistake. He decided he was going to go offer incense in the temple. He is not a priest. The priests are horrified. Here comes the king with a censer and the like. They, ha they have a scrum of priests ready to resist the king, to keep the king out of the temple. In the midst of this hoorah, they look at his forehead and he has come down with leprosy. He's suddenly aware he's come down with leprosy and rushes out of the temple and he has leprosy until it finally kills him. He's about 68 years old when he dies. So this is speaking of a king who has finally died, who has suffered with leprosy for stepping out of his place into an unwarranted religious, religious, got to be good, right? He's going to do something religious, personal, individual. But on his own terms, and not that Isaiah knew Uzziah or anything like that, but uh, I stopped thinking of it in terms of just a dating uh, convention. Because the passage goes on into one of the most Loaded, glorious passages in the Old Testament. Isaiah 6 is the one passage where seraphim are mentioned. That's it. Nothing else. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. He's standing in the temple. He's not out of the you know, countryside having a vision. He's having a vision of these things. The Lord, high and lifted up, the seraphim, describes singing this or calling out this praise of God, the place rocking. And Isaiah's response is, and I said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. The ears I was thinking off the Uzziah thing, that Uzziah, big mistake, he thought he could express his religion on his terms the way he wanted to. He was doing it in the temple of the true God. He was doing the true kind of stuff they do in that religion, offering incense and a censer. He just wasn't the guy to do it. Now it's not that the rules couldn't be broken, because you know that in the New Testament, even the Christ argues with the Jews saying, you know, so-and-so is not allowed to have this food, David, the, the, the showbread when he's on the run from Saul. He uses that as an argument that says, you guys are a little bit too overly legalistic. So the problem is not that the rules couldn't be broken, 
Christ's own priesthood is one that is contrary to the priesthood of the Jews because he's not of the tribe of Levi. But we're looking at someone who is doing something the way they want it. They're stepping into their religion the way they want it. Now, we're in a church, and you didn't notice. Now, it's pretty, it's just churchy. It's, uh, we're not very churchy. You guys come from who knows what background, doing what you want to do, relating to it in the most individual way. So I'm not, am I preaching against that? That you're coming in essentially like Uzziah and you deserve to have leprosy when you leave. Now, God, Isaiah's situation is he has encountered in the temple, unlike Uzziah encountered in the temple, Uzziah encountered his own will and what his own will did. Isaiah had a very individual experience, but he was encountering the living God, high and lifted up, glorified by the whatever celestial being a seraphim is. And he says, woe to me. His response is, woe to me, not just because I am a man of unclean lips, it's not just because of his own sin, but his own sin has seen the king. My eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Now, the reason I'm laying this kind of, you might say, groundwork or, or expressing these qualities about the passage is because of that great phrase that comes later in it that is repeated in Matthew and repeated in Acts. We want to be the kind of people, we want to preach the kind of gospel that introduces people not to Uzziah's cool, do, hip and friendly religious expression in the temple, but the kind of Christianity that has people fall to their knees and cry out in repentance because their eyes have seen the Lord of hosts. I mean, I've, I've given my testimony a number of times in my life. Seraphim did not play into it. I did not have any seraphim and the heavens opening and many six-winged beings crying out in glory to God as Evan became a Christian at the age of eight. It wasn't that kind of thing. But... We also know that our religion is not based on how glorious those things are. Those things gloried are present in some people's experiences. It is the God we meet. It's his temple. It's his presence. It's his kingdom. And what I want to encourage you is that we taught out of uh, uh, Acts 6, 26 uh, a few weeks ago where Paul is expressing to King Agrippa um, that he was commissioned to uh, open their eyes, turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God. This is a description in this passage of the reverse of that. So, So we have in our minds what we had to become to become Christians, which was 
having our eyes opened up, realizing there was things that we needed to look at, there were things that needed to be understood, and there was a power to which we had to submit. And it happens to Isaiah. He says, woe is me. In verse 6 he says, Then flew one of the seraphim to me, having in his hand a burning coal, which he had taken from the, with the tongs from the altar. And I, as I was reading that, I said, you know, the seraphim had to use tongs. Just saying. That's one hot coal. The angel has to get something, get some mitts on, and get this hot thing, because he's going to touch his mouth with it, verse 7. He touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin forgiven. Good image. Convincing that his unclean lips, which he realized he had when he had seen the Lord of hosts, some people, I was, I was in a counseling situation earlier this week, and I was being asked about a particular struggle this guy was having. And uh, we're going to be pursuing those things in, in future, but one of the key elements is, what have you encountered? Uh, what, 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 do, what do you see? Do you still see your heart full of you? And your way of doing things? Or do you feel that you have seen the Lord of hosts? where you suddenly know, you know those dreams you have, that you, all of a sudden you realize you're in the mall and you don't have your clothes on? Or you're late for an exam, your final exam, and no matter what, when you finally get there, the doors are locked and you still don't have your clothes on. It's always this realization of, oh my gosh, how embarrassing, how ashamed I am. This is something that Isaiah encounters immediately. Because he didn't walk, you know, full of himself like Uzziah did into the temple with a censer, ready to usurp the priestly authority. He's in the temple. Uzziah has just died and he sees the Lord. His sins are forgiven. And immediately on his sins being forgiven, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, verse 8, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go, and say to this people. Now the benefit in this is that he's just, although he's a man of unclean lips, he's just had a too hot for angels coal pressed on his lips. And he's been forgiven for what he has said. His lips are usable by God to say these things. We, we've got various things to consider. Is How have I approached God? How, how have I pursued God myself? Have I pursued God for who God is? Or have I pursued God for what I'd like to create in my American freedoms into a religion that I could possibly tolerate belonging to? Because we all have tastes, right? I don't like the first Noel. Some of you do. We all have tastes. We like, you know, basilica shapes. Some people like 
church in the round. Some people like, you know, happy clappy music. Some people like uh, more devotional messages. We have all different things we like. I don't think any crime in liking things. I'd say you can like what you want after you've met the Lord of Hosts. Because the Lord of Hosts is who our religion faces. I don't know if the word hosts here is the word armies. Usually it's used for the word armies. That would kind of change the feeling of the passage, the Lord of armies. Changes who you're dealing with. Whatever the case, we're dealing with this God. And he wants to send you. One, you have to come to a resounding repentance where you are cleansed of that which you did. We don't find our God so we can fix other people. We find our God so that he can fix us. His grace forgiving you. And then, he says, who can I use? And you're happy to go. You're happy to say, raise your hand and go, you bet, my lips are clean now. Go say to this people, and this is the key passage, hear, hear, but do not understand. See and see, but do not perceive. The message this morning is that you would perceive. The message this morning is, the message of the Christian faith is one that communicates not perceiving. It's kind of a strange quality to it. We want, people, we want people to perceive so bad that we're going to make it an on-off switch. You either perceive or you don't. And if you don't, it's your fault. If you don't, but it's also God's intention that you discover that you don't. He is sending Isaiah having cleaned up his act, telling them to hear, but not, not to understand. To see, but not perceive. Make the heart of this people fat. Make the heart of this people fat. I don't even know what that image is. You know, we could talk about, you know, cardiac disease or something. I don't think you're thinking about, I think you're thinking about the center of the man. Like the heart of the tree, not the, the, the thing at Valentine's Day that is engaged. Make the heart of this people fat, and their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn to be healed. He actually tells Isaiah, to preach a message, the people will go, no thanks, walk away. That they won't perceive it, they won't understand it. He says, because if they did, heaven forbid, they would turn and be healed. And he doesn't want that. Jesus says the same thing. Matthew 13. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? 
And he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. I don't know if you've ever encountered that element in your own life. That you are Christians, those of you who believe, are Christians, you've been entrusted with the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. And the flip side of that is that they have not been. So well, aren't we talking to them about it? Well, yes, but only to find out who is pursuing the secrets of the kingdom. That's why we're sent. We're not sent to convince everybody. We're sent to lay the kingdom out in front of everybody. Then we'll see who's got a fat heart, who's shut their eyes, who's shut their ears. It has not been given to them. For to him who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from him who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Jesus is not about equity. He's not about making things even. Oh, you guys don't know much about the Christian religion, so we better, you know, pile that up. He says, no, 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 no. Those that have, they get more. Those that have not, because this process in the faith is one of selection. It is how I was talking to my uh, fellow father-in-law, uh, Ravi, uh, last night. He was talking about this wildlife park he wanted to do in Moscow. And uh, so we, being ignorant savages, we, what about pandas? And uh, I don't think we're going to get any pandas. But we started talking about why it was so difficult for pandas to breed and so forth. And so he gave us, he's, he likes to lecture. So we got a nice long lecture on uh, sex selection on the part of various animal groups, certain birds, or I guess cheetahs do it, pet, where um, let's just say the women are more selective. It's not just everybody goes into heat and then they make babies. They go, I don't want to date that guy. So it makes it harder in small groups of limited pandas, giant pandas left, uh, for babies to be made because the women are being a little, you know, picky. You see the peahen, you know, running around not caring. And the peacock is throwing his feathers out there like, I'm the most beautiful thing you ever saw. You're going to want to make babies with me. And she's going, no, thank you. I, I have a date. We, uh, this was tied in somehow, wasn't it? The, uh, let's see if I can figure it out. The gospel selection. Ah, that's right. Thank you. Tim comes through for the team. Uh, we forget when we think, because we have freedom of religion in the United States of America, you can sacrifice goats in Florida. Okay? You can, you can bow down to some Scientology thing in L.A. You can do whatever you want. It doesn't, freedom of religion doesn't make you right. Everybody doesn't get to be right because they're free to pick a religion. The wonderful thing about the true religion, it, it's picking you just like you're picking it. Now you say, Evan, you're sounding a little reformed. No, biblical maybe, but I, some would call it election, I call it selection. Um, God chooses those who seek him. He doesn't want those who don't seek it. 
Their lack of seeking him is a judgment upon themselves. That their failure to gain, their failure to gain is a failure. Um, of their own character. Because their heart is fat. No, we, we, uh, if we don't, one thing I want to remind you of is this passage lands on you in three, at least, clear quotations. One, the, the first event, the two quotations of it. It's, it's elbowing its way through Judeo-Christian history. It's saying, pay attention to this. The disciples are bothered by this in Matthew 13. He says, this is why I speak to them in parables. Verse 13, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. I've told you this before, but my, my uh, study Bible, which the footnotes were done by Harold Lenzel, who is a conservative believer. Um, where is that? Chapter 13. Listen to this footnote. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. He's nodding. He's saying, yes, well, so, so it is. Spiritual truths are unfolded in everyday language and figures. Okay, yeah. The details of a parable should not be pressed beyond the principal object of the comparison. Also true. Each parable has a main point and was spoken to make that point easily apparent. And the Lord, just three inches above that comment, the Lord is saying, I am telling them parables so that they won't understand. Now, Harold Lenzel has gone on to be with the Lord, I think. So he knows better now. But you're in a religion where the pursuit of God, and God as God, not God as you want him to be, your kind of religion, you offering the incense in the temple, just like you want it to be, because you want the world to be your, you know, oyster. You've got to find God, and you need to fall on your knees in front of him, and have your lips touched with a red-hot coal that even angels can't touch, and uh, you need to be cleansed. And you need to be ready to preach a message that you know is going to shut down whatever percentage of the world. I don't know what you consider to be that percentage, but whatever percentage of the world, it's being shut down intentionally by the work of God. With them shall indeed be fulfilled, but never fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah which says you shall indeed hear but never understand you shall indeed see but never perceive for this people's heart has grown dull their ears are heavy of hearing their eyes they have closed now in the Isaiah uh, quote their ears are heavy and have shut their eyes that the preaching of Isaiah is shutting their eyes in Matthew, the quotation of it, the Lord says, they have shut their eyes. So there's a combination that the preaching, the work of God to uh, get this effect is a combination, it's a communication effect. He says, I'm going to say something and you're going to shut down. I'm going to say something and you're not going to be willing to accept it. Well, I don't think religion should be that way. 
Okay, fine. Live long and prosper. Do what you want. Sacrifice goats in Florida. Do whatever. But if you want to meet this God this way, with this kind of reaction, if this is the truth, it doesn't matter what you think. And what you think may be part of the judgment or the dipstick or the, uh, the realization that you've got a fat heart. You're just involved with other things. You know, it's, I was thinking about the fat hearts uh, idea that you're just, just kind of enjoying a lot of other things. Just involved with some other stuff. It says that in the parable. Of the, the parable this came out of was the sower. People who life's good things, desire for riches, chokes them off and it keeps them from being unfruitful. What? Where's your heart? Do you want to meet this God? If you don't want to meet this God, I understand people don't. they got other things to do. You just better hope this isn't the God of heaven and earth, the God who is going to judge the living and the dead. Because we close our eyes lest we turn for me to heal them. I say turn to God to heal them. They don't want to be healed by God. And God doesn't want to heal them because they don't want him. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. We went through this. Our eyes were opened. We were turned from darkness to light. In other words, we then understood. And then from the power of Satan to God. Truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous men longed to see what you see and did not see it, to hear what you hear. Now the Acts passage, the one I started with in my searchings, quotes it again, but you pick up these things. They, you, the, the, the reverse of this is the need to perceive, the need to hear, the need to understand, and the need to turn. It's what they don't do, it's what we did. It's what we are enjoined to preach, knowing that the preaching of it also causes people not to perceive, hear, understand, or turn. We're so desperate sometimes to convince everybody we talk to, we don't realize what man is like. We don't realize, no, no, that's not how this gravity works. We're preaching the message that really touches the person who is seeking God, we, we, uh, we know that they're going to hear, but we also know and need to accept that there are going to be people who just, you know, it's nonsense, Wilson. What you're talking is nonsense. Really, it's just as long as you're spiritual. As long as you, you know, want good things to happen. Follow your bliss. This is the temple of God, not the way Uzziah went into it. This is the temple of God, the way Isaiah saw the presence of God in the temple. He perceived, he heard, he understood, and he turned. Now, I forget where it is. Somebody might remember. We've come to know God, or rather be known by Him. 
Remember, you are being picked, just like the peahen is picking the peacock. God is picking you, as well as you picking the God. And he's looking at your interest in picking the God, and what you have pursued as the guide to him picking you. How you know him, and how he knows you. When they had appointed a day for him, this is at the very end of the book of Acts. He's gotten to Rome, he's under house arrest. They came to him at his lodging in great numbers, and he expounded the matter to them from morning till evening, testifying to the kingdom of God, and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. That was the passage I was drawn to, that Paul was arguing from the Old Testament that Jesus was the Christ. And some of them were convinced by what he said, while others disbelieved. So, as they disagreed among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. This is the end of his discussion with the Jews in Rome. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You shall indeed hear, but never understand. And you shall indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and their ears are heavy of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should perceive with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn for me to heal them. So what do we do instead? Because we like religion. These were religious people. These weren't people that are going to go run off and join the agnostics club downtown. These are not the people that are just going to go live a party life. They're going to be people who are going to, who are going to create their own Uzziah moment. They're going to create a religion that is more in keeping with what they need to find when they look for God. Because they don't want to perceive him. They don't want to hear what he says. They certainly don't want to understand what he says. Because they don't want to, having understood, fall on their knees in front of him. Let it be known to you then that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. That's you guys. For the most part, you're Gentiles. And the Gentile mission in the world, because of this decision in Rome, in the 50s, early 60s AD, that decision was made on the basis of this passage we're looking at. The people have a chance to hear. They decide whether or not they're going to be in the perceiving category, understanding category. thing for us to look at is what does our heart get filled with? What do we want to have happen? What matters to us the most? Is it you? Is it your acceptance? Is it your relationships? Is it your presence you're going to get at Christmas? Is it money? Is it fame? Is it, well, fatten your heart with something. That will skew it. Whether you can perceive the delight and riches Riches are great. You make a lot of money, God bless you. Just can't take it on as fat around the heart. That you say, this is my salvation. 
or notoriety. This is my salvation. This is the temple, not this building, but the temple of God that we have in Christ, that we belong to, that we join together in. Mount Zion, whatever you want to call it, is before him. You see the Lord high and lifted up. We sing hymns like holy, holy, holy. We have responses like, I can't lift up my head because I'm standing in front of the holy. I have seen the Lord of hosts, and my lips are unclean. So woe to me. That's where we have to go with our sins. This is where we have to go for forgiveness. This is where we go for direction in the kingdom of God. But it's his religion we are finding. His uh, cosmos that he made. So finding him is the, most ma- the, the maximum good. Have you found him? Most of us, that's where we've been. That's where we've gone. That's what we like. As we tweak our way through our Christian lives, whatever your particular theology is, realizing, it's kind of a hard realization to realize that God wants our pursuit to be a judgment of what we get. If you seek, you find. If you ask, you receive. If you don't, if you make your own, if you think you can design a religion to serve you, you will not get the Lord of hosts. You will not have this. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're very grateful that your goodness has come to us and that we recognized it, sat up, noticed our sin, pursued it. Thank you for the forgiveness. Thank you for the instructions in the kingdom. Give us an understanding, a willingness to know that others are choosing otherwise. It is sad, but it is true. We'd ask that you would make our lives filled with the power that the right answer had. Thank you very much, and thank you for this Lord's Supper. In your son's name. Amen.